The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is social media author Lon Safko. Go to lonsafko.com to find out more. Lon, thank you for being on the call with me today. Hey, this is great to be here. Lon, you're the author of the Social Media Bible and the Fusion Marketing Bible. So first of all, how did you get into social media? And then how did you come to write books on the subject? Well, I've always kind of been on the cutting edge of both technology and marketing and anything that's new, uh, new ways to market my companies. I'm president and CEO of three companies right now simultaneously, and I've also built 14 companies. So I'm always trying to figure out what the latest stuff is. Mm-hmm. So back in, uh, I guess it was about 2004, somebody had mentioned Web 2.0, social media. So I started asking all my geeky friends uh, what it was and and what they thought about it and unanimously everybody kept coming back and saying you know it social media is like web 2.0 and we don't know what the heck that is either <laughs> don't worry about it it's going to go away it, it has no substance but when i took a look at it i was like wow i recognized it as a disruptive technology i knew right then that it was going to disrupt our lives and change the way we do business communicate with each other so i got heavily into it really started understanding it and then i started preaching to everybody that they should understand social media because it was coming and everybody says geez if you're going to keep preaching about it why don't you write the bible (laughs) and that's how the book came about that's right cool so what are some of the different categories of social media what are the different types of social media along yeah, you know, social media is actually a bigger picture than most people think. It, it's a subset of a category called digital media. Digital, the difference between digital media and social media is two-way communication. We've been marketing for 6,000 years using push communication. We push our message out and we hope it results in sales. When the internet first came out and became popular in about 1994, I had one of the first websites, I had one of the first e-commerce sites, and what I realized was is that I can connect with customers worldwide, even though there was only one-way communication. They would buy my product and I would get money. And then when social media came around, there was this two-way communication, and that's really what's disrupting all of the marketing and public relations people and salespeople around the world is we've switched from one-way communication, a monologue, to two-way communication, which is a dialogue. And most people believe that social media is Facebook and Twitter. Hey, I created a Facebook page, and I've sent out a couple of tweets. I got this social media stuff down. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it really is not that easy. If it was, you wouldn't be holding an 800-page book on what social media is. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it, besides social networks and Twitter, you have there's a lot of categories. Virtual worlds is an amazing form of social media. Uh, places like Second Life with uh, 16.5 million participants. Online gaming, uh, such as World of Warcraft. People laugh at it, but there's 18 million people participating in World of Warcraft. And then there's other things that we never even think about. RSS, re- really simple syndication. SEO, SEM, which is pay-per-click. So there's really an awful lot to social media beyond just Facebook and Twitter. So it's not just about social networks, it's about the whole picture, even 
just us two talking on Skype right now, Lon. That's a form of personal social media. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a category that is about interpersonal, and that means that you and I can connect. And in, just before we started this interview, we found out that I had an office within two minutes driving time of where you actually live outside of London. So we connected. We have something in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have grounds now to build a relationship of trust. And that's really the, the basis of all social media is the ability to connect with your customers, with your prospect, and immediately build that trust. So what are some of the major reasons why small business owners should be excited about social media? Well, you know, especially small business owners, and they should be excited about it. It couldn't have come at a better time, uh, at a time when the world is in probably one of the worst depressions that we've seen in our lifetimes. Social media pops up and gives us the opportunity not to connect with tens of thousands of people the way traditional media does, but literally millions and millions of people. Traditional media for small business has always been prohibitively expensive. A small business can't afford television advertising and radio and and print ads and big campaigns like the big companies can. But with social media, you actually can reach multiples of more people, and the implementation is 100% free. Facebook is approaching 1 billion members, and you have access to every single one of them at no cost at all. Amazing. Absolutely staggering the potential, isn't it? It is, and that's what it is. It's the potential of this marketing medium. Lon, in your book, The Social Media Bible, you outline that there are five steps to social media success. Could you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody says, OMG, 800 pages, and then they start to cry. So I say, don't worry about it. Part two of the book, and by the way, that was part of crowdsourcing. When I did the first edition of the book, um, it was more kind of academic, and I was using the four pillars of whatever – But the readers looked at it and said, you know what we really want to see at the end of this book is how do we apply the previous 700 pages? So the five steps really is it's it's actually quite simple. The idea is to take a look at all of your existing media, whatever you're doing, all of your campaigns, and for the most part, that's going to be traditional. And perform the cost of customer acquisition on it. Go through your expenses of what each of your campaigns cost. Estimate the number of new customers that that generated. And then simply divide those two numbers and you'll find out each campaign costs you so much to earn one new customer. Mm-hmm. And what you're going to find out is, is that a lot of campaigns are going to be really awful and you're just not going to do them again. And then the other campaigns, you're going to see that the cost of customer acquisition is low and the ROI is high. So you'll keep doing those. So that's step one. Step two is looking at social media. And as we talked earlier, social media, actually, there's 20 different categories. Well, what I'm thinking is, nah, let's just get it down to three. Blogging, microblogging, and social networks. If you can do those three things, you totally have 90% of everything you need to do in social media. Blogging, microblogging, which is Twitter, and mm-hmm. participating in social networks. Step three is, now that you got your traditional fine-tuned, and you got a handle around the building blocks in social media. In step three, I want you to integrate them. I want you to fuse those. Fusion marketing. Put those together into one coherent plan. The next step is resources. Step four. Where do you find the resources, especially if you're a small business, to actually do this? Well, if you go back to step one, you'll find that you just freed up a lot of human resources and a lot of financial resources mm-hmm. by simply eliminating the campaigns that were ineffective. So now you can move those resources into performing this fused type of marketing, traditional, digital, and social. 
That's how you find your resource. And then, of course, the last part is step five. You can't manage what you don't measure. Uh, we've heard that many times, and it's absolutely true. The wonderful thing about social media is that everything goes through a computer. So one way or another, one place or another, you can measure who looks at it, when they look at it, how many times they looked at it, whether or not they responded. We could never do that with traditional media. If you put an ad in the newspaper, the best you can do is keep your fingers crossed. But in social media, you can count the actual number of customers. So deliberately put measurements, implement measurementation, inside of everything that you do so that you can track what's working and what's not. In your book, you also talk about how word of mouth now travels at the speed of light. Do you have any real-life examples of this happening? And it can be either negative or positive, because either way now, news travels fast. It really does travel fast. In the old days, you know, if you could tell a neighbor or you could tell the people at church or people at work, and your group is limited, literally, and it was a scientific study to 150 people. Most people, up until social media, maintained an active set of relationships with maximum of 150 people. But, heck, I communicate with that many people by lunch every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So these tools allow us to to do this kind of mass communication that we never had before. You can see, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Carol, uh, who uh, was angry at United Airlines for smashing his guitar and not doing anything to fix it. He actually watched the people loading the luggage on the runway smash his guitar, and United didn't care. So he did a video about how awful United was, and guess what? 24 hours later, when 5 million people looked at that video – he got a call from United Airlines. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But that's a good thing, though, because businesses and service providers need to up their game because if you underperform, it's going to get out there now. Yeah, and we, we saw that on, on a small scale, like a guy with a guitar, but we also saw the, the fall of the Egyptian government mm-hmm. not too long ago. I mean, and a lot of that was due to Facebook and this mass communication for the first time suppressed Entire countries of suppressed people are no longer kept in the dark or media blackout. They're able to communicate on Twitter, communicate on Facebook, and the truth always comes out now, and that's kind of the power. It can come out positively if you're a good company with a good product, or, you know what, it can come out negatively if you're not playing the game right. Let's talk about social networks specifically. How long have human beings been creating social networks? (laughs) Ever since there were human beings. (laughs) In one of the chapters, I got a, a... an image of the cave in south of France. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's in French. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the, the cave painting is over 35,000 years old. And that was one person 35,000 years ago creating an image on the wall of the daily hunt so that he can communicate those thoughts and ideas with others of the tribe and others that came after him. Could you imagine putting something up on Facebook that 35,000 years from now somebody's going to see? Yeah, crazy stuff. So, People have always done this. They've always gathered together and found like-minded people. Like-minded people is a really good way to put that because, uh, again, in the beginning of our conversation, uh, we struck a chord and we found something in common which instantly bonded us. Mm-hmm. The fact that we both lived in the exact same place within two minutes of each other on the other side of the globe for me. So that – was In that sense, we became like-minded people. We know about Farnsboro, mm-hmm. where other people don't. Well, if you're in Facebook and you're fanatic about Facebook, already you have something in common, and you're going to connect with other Facebookians. 
uh, people who are also into that particular technology. Not everybody's into Facebook. Some people prefer Twitter. Some people are still on MySpace. Some people go into Second Life. So immediately the, the platform gives us a connection on which we can build trust. Could you tell us a little bit about the life cycle of those who participate in social networking? I found this very interesting when I read it. Yeah, honestly, the, the more I look at it, the more I realize that the life cycle kind of changes a little bit. Some people, I mean, I've seen probably two-thirds of everybody on Facebook is on it every single day. Then there's another percentage that checks in once a week, only looks at the reminders in the email. And then there's the, the lurkers, the stalkers that are just kind of got out there, got their profile. But, you know, for the most part, people who use text messaging use it several times an hour every single day. People who use Twitter do exactly the same thing. So what I'm seeing this shift is that people are now settling down into the social network that they're most comfortable with, and they, they really use it extensively and then use the other networks kind of auxiliary. For me, that's probably Facebook and Twitter. They're probably my two favorites, and the others get a little bit left behind. So I, I totally understand that. I guess that's the 80-20 rule in, in, in coming into play there. So let's move on to blogs. You talk about them a little bit in the book. Why are they so powerful to use in marketing? Well, one of the, the thing about blogs is, is that it builds Google juice and link love. And trust me, you can't get enough Google juice. The, and for those who don't understand what that is, blogs, first of all, when you create a blog and you're using industry words and you're talking about things that are in your industry and search engines find you and people begin to read your blogs, if you are the one that continuously comes up on the search engines, then it's perceived that you are the industry leader in that category. You're the thought leader because Google believes you are just by listing you in these SERPs, search engine result pages. So just for no other reason, blogging gives you the opportunity to become a industry leader, a thought leader. That's kind of powerful just by typing blogs. But the second thing on the technical side, and by the way, this is a really good test for anybody who calls himself a social media expert. Mm -hmm. Simply ask them, what is the SEO, search engine optimization, what is the SEO implications of blogging? And they'll look at you like deer in headlights because I've <laughs> – they don't understand the big picture of social media. They understand blogging, but not how it applies to search engines. Yep. What happens is the more pages that you get created with your name on it, industry keywords, those pages get indexed together in Google. So in my case, let me give you an example. Uh, Inc. Magazine called and uh, wanted me to do an interview with him. So I said, yeah, sure. So we were done. And I asked the reporter, I said, everybody on earth now is a social media expert. Why did you pick me? He said it was simple. He says, every time I went into the Google and typed in social media, yours was the only name that came up. Mm -hmm. Cha-ching. So the more pages that you can get indexed in Google, Yahoo, MSN, Bing, the more higher up on the search engines and the more listings and rankings you're going to get in that search engine until eventually you bury everybody else. You bury the competition. Those are two good reasons right there to blog. Yeah, massive reasons. And also video blogging, otherwise known as vlogging. You also talk about that being a very powerful method too. Well, you know, and that's the power of Skype. The reason that we use Skype and we don't use email is because I get a chance to see you. Mm -hmm. And you get a chance to see me. And you can see my facial expressions. Human beings communicate in a lot of different ways, but the most powerful way is visual. When two people are looking at each other in a communication, eye movement, eyebrow, 
the whole facial expression, all of the body language, the kinesthetics, everything that's taking place in that conversation, besides the words, is telling 99% of the story to the other person. So by using video inside your blog, you're not only conveying the content, but you're doing it in such a way that it's significantly more rich and significantly builds a level of trust because the people are actually watching your facial expressions and know that you're sincere. I know you talk in the book about getting in front of Ustream or Google Hangouts, for example, uh, actually presenting to people live on air. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you see WebEx, GoToMeeting, GoToSeminar, iLink, uh, iChat, Skype, Google Hangouts. I mean, these are, and, and now these are all available for the iPad, the other tablets, and for your iPhone. It, it's a very powerful medium when you can look at the other people that are taking place in the conversation. There, there's no exchange for that. There's no way to supplement that. It's very powerful. Absolutely. Lon, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of different social networks at this particular point in time. The first one is MySpace. Why do you believe MySpace went downhill? Why did Facebook win that battle? Yeah, and that was unusual. When I actually did the first edition of uh, the Social Media Bible, MySpace was significantly bigger than Facebook, Mm. and I'm kind of almost embarrassed. There was very little mention of Facebook in the first edition. Um, I contacted them. They refused to do an interview, so I pretty much said, well, on you. So. Mm Mm-hmm. We focused really primarily on MySpace. MySpace originally was created by musicians that didn't have a label. They they were unlabeled musicians, but they had the greatest cutting-edge, most modern, best music. And they created MySpace as a way to exchange ideas, exchange information, riffs and chords and, and music. Well, think about that for a second. You got the best music, and it's all free, and all these ideas being exchanged – who do you think that's going to attract? Well, teenagers. It's going to attack, attract teenagers mm-hmm. the way garbage cans attract raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> so literally millions of teenagers ran into the site, created their pages, started exchanging ideas. The other thing was is that MySpace really was the first platform out there that allowed you to insert music, text, photograph, videos. Kind of, It was really the prototype of Facebook. Then Facebook kind of took off. Partly, if you've seen the movie, Social Networks, because of the exclusivity. Of course, anytime you make something exclusive and unaccessible, uh, there's a you know supply and demand. So human nature. Plus, coincidentally, and I think luckily, it was the college kids. It was the college students that Facebook was targeted towards. And really, if you look at Facebook, MySpace, any of the early social networks, that was geared strictly towards the college-age groups. So it was a very targeted demographic with a very successful product that had already been proven by MySpace. So Facebook had little more features benefits. It targeted the demographic a little bit better. So as a result, it really it screamed past MySpace. But don't discount MySpace because MySpace still has 200 million active members. Wow, I had no idea that so many were still active. That's interesting. And they're um, doing a job of breathing life back into MySpace. They're doing a lot of good advertising. They're adding mm-hmm. feature benefits. Uh, they're, they're really doing a good job. I didn't know that. That's very interesting to know. Okay, so Pinterest has been successful since it first launched. Uh, why do you feel that it grew so quick? Pinterest is – we talked about the value of video here a second ago. Mm-hmm. And if you if you, you don't know how to edit video or if you don't have a camera to create video – then really, what is the next best thing? Well, it's photographs. 
And photographs are very powerful tools because in each of us, we're all voyeurs. We like to look into other people's lives, sometimes with them knowing about it, sometimes without them knowing. Mm-hmm. So people really are fascinated by other people's photographs. And the reason is, is a photograph captures – I'm looking at your photograph now. OMG. I don't know who she is, but she's beautiful. The, the photograph is awesome. You're well lit. She's well lit. You got the sunlight, sun setting in the background, the soft uh, hills of uh, northern England. I mean, that tells me an awful lot about that moment in time. Mm-hmm. So as I look at this, I imagine I share in the excitement that you must have had at the moment that image was snapped. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's the visual aspect with Pinterest because Flickr was also a social sharing site. So it's that viral aspect of Pinterest, the fact that you can easily and quickly repin other people's stuff. Is that really what's led to the success? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Flickr is great. There, it's an online photo album. I mean, Kodak tried to do it. Uh, there was uh, Photo Bucket tried to do it. And that's great, a place where people come and look at your photographs. But the thing that makes social network is the actual networking itself. Mm-hmm. So if you can take photographs and you can repin them and you can move things around and you can create your own collage, well, now you've got this social interaction between you and other owners of photographs. Mm-hmm. So you're able to exercise creativity using other people's content, which really is meaning connecting with all of those other people and then sharing your creation with the world of Pinterest. My final question was about Google+. I'm really undecided about Google+. I don't know whether it's going to be a massive success or not. I mean, it's already very big, but Google have tried and failed many times to create a social network. And I thought they'd cracked it this time, but it seems to have slowed down a little bit. So what do you see happening with that? I think your summary is is spot on uh, about Google. Google has done a spectacular job of creating some unbelievable technology. Mm-hmm. I thought Google Wave was going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was such a great technology. Yeah. Some of their stuff has been great. The problem is they really suck at bringing it to market. They're they're not good at getting that those products in their in the hands of people. I thought so too. I thought Google Plus was going to take off even faster than MySpace because they thought it through. If you look at the evolution of Facebook, it was a series of mistakes and ideas and listening to what the customers want. The success that it has right now has nothing to do with where it began or any kind of a overall strategy by Mark Zuckerberg. It mm-hmm. really was just evolution, yeah. a series of mistakes that led to a good product, where Google actually watched the history of Facebook, took all of the features and benefits, tried to expand on them, like text messaging, bringing in uh, all of the Google apps and bringing in Gmail and taking Skype and putting it on steroids so you can have seven or eight people simultaneously on video and create these groups. The feature benefits are really awesome. I use it often and I'm a member. But you're right. It's kind of stalled over the last couple of months, and I don't know what the future is going to be. But I'm there, and everybody needs to be there because you don't know if that's where your prospects and customers are. Yeah, I'm on there as well, but I, I guess the big differences between, say, Facebook and, and Google Plus is my business contacts, my marketing, my techie, geeky kind of friends are on Google Plus, but my normal everyday people, someone I might see at church or meet down the pub or at a restaurant, they're not on there yet. I guess that's the big difference, but I know that those kind of people are all definitely on Facebook for sure, so I guess we'll just have to see on that one, won't we? Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. The thing is is that Facebook is, is mainstream right now. Uh, geez, even my wife 
<laughs> takes a look at it from time to time, and she swore she would never touch a social network. <laughs> Everybody's on it. Grandparents are looking at grandkids. Kids are talking to old high school friends. I mean, yeah, it's gone mainstream, and Google hasn't really got that viral side of it yet, and it, it may. I'm still counting on it. Sure. I'd like to see Google give Facebook a run for their money. Yeah, me too. I, I think the fact that they have a search engine behind them and they could fuse that together somehow and all the other Google products as well. And I think they have to some degree, but I don't think they've you know, quite cracked it yet and used it to its full capability just yet. So again, I guess we'll see what happens. So Lon, thank you so much for this interview today and for sharing this information with us. Where can we go and buy your books? Well, absolutely. Just go to lonsafko.com, L-O-N-S-A-F-K-O.com. Uh, the Social Media Bible is out there. It's in its third edition. It's in uh, four different languages, which I'm really proud of, uh, English, Spanish, Korean, and Chinese now. If that's not an oxymoron, I don't know what is, social media and Chinese. And um, everybody asks me, what's next after social media? OMG, fusion marketing is what's next. Could you give us a little bit more info on the Fusion Marketing Bible, Lon? What is the big idea behind it, and how is it different from the first book? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is when I go into big corporations, they introduce me to their vice president of social media, and that's usually where we start. And what I do is I look them right in the face, and I say, before I leave, I'd like to be introduced to your vice president of billboards. And they look and they say, what? I said, that's the whole point. Why do you have a vice president of social media? You should have a vice president of marketing. Social media is no different than all of the traditional tools that we've been using for 6,000 years. I mean, other than it's technology-based and it's two-way communication and not one-way. Fusion takes a completely different look at everything that we do, and it actually puts it into a graphic, a, a, a picture, where you can look at this picture and see your entire marketing strategy all of your campaigns in one image and start and here it comes start actually cross connecting mm -hmm. you can cross connect business cards to coupons you can cross connect facebook to your website and when you start making these connections across this image you'll see new ways to leverage what you're currently doing mm -hmm. and in some cases i found a 400% increase wow. in conversion at no additional expense whatsoever so Honestly, I think it's something. Go take a look at the FusionMarketingBible.com website. I've, I've already snuck up the table of contents and the introduction and I think chapter one. That's before McGraw-Hill finds out. Great. I'm really looking forward to reading it. And with that, we'll bring this call to a close. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a positive review on iTunes. And finally, Lon, thank you very much for coming on the show. Joey, it was a pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. The Online Marketing Show, every day with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.